welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 770. We are just chugging along here. What a milestone. And today we're going to have an interview with Eric Dam. That's Eric A R I C Dam, D A M M, from the Brevet. B-R-E-V-E-T. I feel like I need to buy a vowel. Uh, anyway, so uh, Eric Dam from the Brevet is going to be coming up in just momentarily here. Uh, I met Eric and some of his bandmates, including John Kingsley, on the rock boat. Uh, as many of you know, I am a big fan of live music, and I've been on this thing called the rock boat seven times now. The first time was in 2010, so that's seven times over the last 11 years and it is just fantastic. Started by Sister Hazel back in 2001, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. They bring on about 30 different bands and artists from all over the country, even sometimes outside of the country, and it's just a great time. It fills an entire huge cruise ship, like 3,000 people. What an amazing time, and I will be on the rock boat in many, many more times in my life. I know it can't go every year, but I'll go many years, and anyway... Um, for those of you listening, maybe for the first time, uh, if you like this episode, I encourage you to subscribe. You can also subscribe your friends on any podcast app you're listening to this on. Also, please review this on Apple, uh, Apple Podcast, iTunes, or any of the other podcast apps you are using to listen to this because reviews, especially five stars, but any comments or reviews also give us higher ratings and more people can find us as we move up the charts. And we are moving up, baby, thanks to your support and your listening. And also, I really enjoy your feedback and also people who you might want to suggest to be on here, whether they're entrepreneurs, philanthropists, or artists. So stay tuned for more. And you can visit our website at agentsofinnovation.org, where you can see archived blog posts about every single guest and episode that we've had over the last almost five years now. So I really appreciate you listening to the Agents of Innovation podcast, and we've got a great interview coming up with Eric Dam of The Brevet. Well, I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Eric Dam with The Brevet. He is the lead singer and also plays guitar for them. Eric, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, Eric, um, you're calling in here. I know we're doing this, and you're uh, you're out in Orange County, California, where where you guys are based. But uh, you and I met on the rock boat just a couple weeks ago, and I know that was <laughs> yeah. your second second rock boat, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And uh, it was you guys had some just amazing performances. Uh, just tell us real quick uh, a little bit about your experience there. Um, yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, Rockboat definitely like is a, a special festival that we've, um, you know, like you said, we played it in 2016, and we were a very different band at that time. We were very young, and it's definitely like it. Who those who don't know what the Rockboat is, it's this crazy community that is so so involved, and it helps artists and 
just the support that we've gotten from them has kept us going for this long. And, and it was awesome to be back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, people who listen to this podcast probably uh, have heard me talk about the rock boat before. This was actually my seventh time going on. My first time was in 2010. And I'll tell you, oh, wow. it's, it, uh, I feel like every time it just gets better and it's hard to, it seems like it's always going to be hard to top the most latest experience, but, uh, this was, this was really incredible. The 20th anniversary and a lot of, uh, you know, some of the top artists being back. Uh, let me ask you, what was one of your, um, say favorite performances from another artist? And, uh, I'll add to that. What was, what was maybe a new, uh, artist find, uh, that you really appreciated when coming off the boat there? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love need to breathe. Uh, definitely we're pretty influenced by those guys and uh i know i i personally have been compared to like his voice quite a bit and so you know through that people telling me that i listen to them a lot and i've heard him i mean they're phenomenal band so seeing them again live was was really really uh inspiring you know they're they're a pretty incredible live live band um yeah they're one of those bands one it's become one of my favorite bands over the years and uh and, and, you know, I'll say that as well, you know, I mean, it's, they're one of those bands when I go on the rock boat, I, I just don't miss a set. And, um, you know, you guys were also, you were sort of a new band. I'd seen you guys in 2016, just in passing, uh, cause there's so many things going yeah. on the rock boat. There's a lot of competition, but this time I was able to get to all of your sets and it was great. And I could see, I could see that similarity because, you know, as somebody who's a big fan of need to breathe coming in and, and really, uh, uh, enjoying what you guys had to offer as well. And, and yeah, I could see you have a great voice and much like a uh, bear uh, from need to breathe. I would say like, you know, maybe five years ago, uh, there was, you know, there's, there's like the umbrella of all those bands that kind of came out of that time, like Mumford and Sons, Lumineers, all that stuff. So early Brevet, we kind of just fell into that umbrella where people would just compare you to the top, whatever the top hands are, you know, like, Oh, you guys sound like Mumford or you sound like, like need to breathe or, you know, whatever. So as, as we progressed and matured and written how we want to write, obviously there's, I think there's been a little bit more deviation, but um, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm honored to be, uh, you know, talked about like in that regard, I love those bands. Those are great bands. Was there a band that you had not known before you came on the rock boat that you saw that, that really, um, you know, came, came with sort of a new, new to you band favorite. Yeah, definitely. I, I just from musicianship, I really loved Lawrence. I thought Lawrence was, um, pretty incredible to watch. Like she's got an amazing voice and he does as well. And, uh, it's kind of cool brother and sister duo. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. We all, the, they, yeah, the entire band was like very, uh, very blown away by the, that band you know just their their musicianship and and their stage presence and the whole the whole thing yeah i felt like they really kind of stood out as something uh different from the rest of the uh the bands on the boat yeah it's a different you know they're a different sound than what the rock boat usually is i would say but um it worked really really well so aaron get uh eric eric getting back to your um Getting back to the Brevet, tell me a little bit about uh, the significance of the name of your band, the Brevet. Yeah, sure. Um, so the name is really originated from like a Civil War, Revolutionary War rank in the military. So I'm a I'm a huge Civil War buff. Uh, love 
all history on civil war. My, my great, 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 great grandfather fought in the civil war and have a lot of history there and whatnot. So I grew up, you know, just being fascinated by it. And, um, the a brevet rank was usually given out of honor and merit. And you had to take over duties usually of someone else. So for instance, if a general was captured or killed, someone would be a breveted general, meaning they would take on the responsibilities of that without getting the pay of that general. So very much an honor and merit. So that's kind of where the name came from. Very cool. Now, how did you guys, uh, there's four members of your band. You got yourself, John Kingsley on guitar, uh, and David Aguiar on drums, percussion, and Julian Johnson on bass. How did you guys form as a band? It kind of was like, like through the grapevine, just as we grew, picking up each member along the way. You know, originally uh, there was another member named Michael who was in the band with me and him and I originally started the band. We grew up together and went to high school together. So originally that's how the band started. And through that, uh, we found David. And then after actually the first rock boat, we found John. Um, we realized, hey, we need to, because we very much started out as like a licensing band, like writing for television and film. Um, I came from my background a bit from the acting world. And so that was where my mindset was um, writing in, in that space. And so when we were on the Rockville, we were very much like a baby band as far as live performances go. And after that, we were like, wow, we need, a, we need to get a lead guitarist. So we found John, David knew John, and it kind of just kept going from there. Now, did you find John on the Rockville or was it just something after your first no. Rockville? No, yeah, David. David previously knew John, so okay. he, we just decided after the Rockville, like, hey, we need to start picking up our live game, and uh, you know, just focusing more on that aspect. Well, that's so important. And um, you kind of first got started in music by writing scores for student films when you were in college. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that experience, and then also how you transitioned from that to you know doing what you do today? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so I very much started like uh, in the acting route. That was my that was my goal. That was my my focus was going to school for acting, and um, through that, I just kept getting led to doing music one way or another. Um, while I was in school, you know, I was acting in these student films and would be calling. You know, I, I grew up in Orange County, so I'd be calling bands that I grew up with, like a band called Young the Giant and other bands, to license their songs into these little student films. And after a while, I just kind of got sick of doing um, the paperwork for the licensing contracts and whatnot and started writing it myself for all these little student films. And then after college, met back up with Michael and we just kept writing and I kept, um, kept you know, honing in on my craft of writing and whatnot while I was still focusing on acting. And we had like three songs, I believe. We didn't even have a band name at the time, but a licensing company approached us <clears throat> for television and film. And we started getting, you know, placements in TV and film all the time. And I kind of had to go, hey, let me, maybe I should focus on this, you know, a little bit further. And at that point, we found David for drums and then started building this band. And very much for the first two years of our career was just focused on that. We weren't really playing live shows. I would say we maybe played six shows a year for the first two years. And then when the rock boat hit, it was like, you know, as we wanted to keep growing as a band and progressing with this thing and just letting it ride, we need to start transitioning to live shows. And, and that's kind of how it kept, um, kept happening. We just, um, we kept growing and growing and growing. And, and, and now we're here, you know, do kind of shifted focus from licensing, if you will, 
two, what, what I really, really wanted to grow the brevet to be was, um, a live, a live act, you know? So, yeah, that's interesting. So you were basically creating songs for what television, film, commercials, all sorts of things like that. Um, and then yeah, yeah not- it was kind of teeter- yeah, it was kind of teetering on both. Like it was like we're a band, like I'm not writing jingles. I'm not writing for right. television and film in that regard. Like I'm just writing songs that I feel with my acting background could fit in television and film, if that makes sense. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like, hey, write a song called This is the Best Day of My Life or This is the Greatest Day and and then we're gonna put it in this spot. It wasn't that at all, but it was it was focused with the mindset while I'm writing these songs, like how will this fit emotionally in, you know, T V and film? And we just kinda hit that sweet spot at the right time where it did. Um so you know, like, you, you know, a lot of bands you go ahead. Yeah, no, so I was gonna just ask you, uh Obviously, you come from the, you know, you mentioned you came from an acting background. You've got a great voice. Uh, did you, like, while you were, you know, preparing for acting roles or preparing for an acting career, um, did you have, like, vocal lessons throughout your life or any things like that to to prepare you for that, those sort of roles? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I did. Um, not willingly, but I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I once had a roommate in college who was like a theater major and, uh, he'd be like down the hall in the other room, like at seven or eight in the morning on a Saturday, like singing show tunes or something. So (laughs) I can imagine having uh, an acting or a a vocal coach help him and everything. So I just remember, uh, him and some of his friends, but anyway, (laughs) uh, but, but yeah, it actually started for me in high school. It started from high school. I, um, I didn't. You know, it's just been this weird, like constant, like how life works, but it's been this weird, just listening to, you know, going with the flow and kind of shifting when things need to shift and being fluid when you need to be fluid. But I, I, you know, I played football in high school. I was an uh, athlete and was very focused on that at the time. So theater was not what I wanted to do, you know, um, but I tore my labrum in my hip my senior year and had to take an elective. And so I took, I took theater. It was an easy, in my mind, it was an easy, easy A. So I did that. And the theater teacher just, for some reason, took a liking to me. I did, I'd never sang in my life and kind of was, would force me into these things. Like he was like, hey, if you don't audition for this musical, Miss Saigon, I'm going to flunk you. And I was like, I'm not auditioning for that. And he's like, I'm going to flunk you if you don't. So I had to audition. And then he gives me the lead role. And so I had to get a vocal coach because like, you know, from right there off the bat. And then from there, I just kept growing. I kept, you know, I really, really started enjoying doing that and continue with the vocal coach. And, and that's kind of how my singing background started. So Eric, you know, I know you're right there in Orange County and, you know, just south of LA and of course, Anaheim right there, Disney, all that. Does being near that area provide more connections for the music industry or for commercial success with you know, some of the songs for television and all that? I mean, no, <laughs> would be the short answer. Uh, you know, you're around it a lot, that's for sure. You know, like a lot of people want to get in. Licensing such a big thing now, and every band wants to be involved in licensing. And it, it doesn't necessarily help being in Orange County. I would say it's actually even more cutthroat because the second we started getting licensing deals, like in the position that we were when we were very young, like, it kind of alienated us from other bands in a weird way within Orange County. 
Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, okay, so a little a little other take on this. Um, you know, you you highlighted that, you know, some of your influences uh such as film scores, music, theater and art. Um what is it about some of these other art forms outside, you know, being um a rock and roll band um kind of influence your band? Uh, storytelling. You know, like I think um for me it's like just like how I started writing for licensing and film, it's all like storytelling and, and creating emotion. And I think I'm super influenced by that and am drawn to that. Like my dad is an artist. My dad's a, I grew up with my dad being a plain air painter and, uh, and having quite a lot of success in that world. So I grew up in a creative family and just watching how he tell, told stories, if you will, through painting. Um, is a unique thing. So for me, when I started getting to writing music, um, that's kind of where my, how I evolved with my mindset on that. Well, great. Um, and Eric, right now, I mean, as far as you and your other bandmates, are you guys, is this, uh, is music your full-time, um, gig? Do you do anything else? It, it is. I mean, music is our main focus and everything, but when I'm home, like I do like to try to offset, um, just like a get out of my mental space sometimes. Sometimes it's a lot when I'm when I'm in the writing zone or whatnot. Each person has their own process of doing that, you know. But for me, I like to like I go in ebbs and flows. Like I'll be super super into writing. All of a sudden, I want to do a bunch, and then at times I want to take a step back and I'm not as inspired as I would like to be. So I kind of put it on the back burner. And I I'm very involved in fitness. I'm actually I was certified personal trainer. And um, I've been working for a gym called F45 down here for, for a long time. And even when I'm home from touring, I, I go and I help out at the gym and I work there and, and personal train a bit. So it's been fun for me just to get out of the, the grind of um, touring and whatnot. And, and it, I, I don't know, it's a, good, it's a breath of fresh air for me. Well, you know, a lot of people travel for work. I travel for work. Uh, what... And you mentioned, uh, you know, being a fitness trainer and everything. How, are you able to kind of take that fitness on the road with you? Is how how is how is sort of the road life? I know you guys drove all the way from California to Miami and back, and you had some stops in between for some shows. But uh, yeah, tell us a little unusual. bit. Yeah, it's not unusual for Brevet. We we drive everywhere. So yeah, it is. It is very difficult. I I. For me personally, like if I can't do something active every day, regardless if we're driving or not, like it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I try to I try to find a gym. You know, whenever we're on the road, I'll find either a gym or use a hotel gym, which aren't usually great, but um, I'll usually buy day passes somewhere uh, at some kind of facility and and go work out there just to get again like clearing your mind. I think it's a really healthy thing to to have a balance, you know, and focusing on health and just getting blood flowing in the morning is, uh, is an important thing for me. Yeah. I was, uh, I remember years ago I read when, uh, when Condoleezza Rice was secretary of state, I read this whole article about how she was basically almost in a different country every day. And she had this like amazing fitness routine. And one of the things she said, and you know, you're sitting there going, okay, if, if, if she has no excuse uh, to work out every day with her crazy schedule. Like nobody has an excuse, but she said, you know, it actually keeps yeah. me. It's like the routine that I can take with me um, when I'm out of my routine by not being at home. And I, I thought that was an interesting yeah. you know, point that she made. It's, well, it's, um, she's a hundred percent right. Right. You know, I, I agree completely with that. Well, uh, 
Eric, I noticed um, through some of your social media, you guys keep what you call tour diaries on your social media. Uh, tell us a little bit yeah. more about uh, the thinking behind that, what, some of the things you post there, and how does it add to your interaction with fans? That probably came from my like background of just being in film and whatnot. But like, I think it was a, it, it came, we just were talking about, you know, every band on, there's so many bands out there and there's so many amazing bands, but they don't get, you know, seen because there's just so much content now on, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, all these things, right? Um, and it's all like, hey, look at me, we're a band, we're a band, we're a band. And I think it's kind of a breath of fresh air to show people basically what I, I feel like social media and Instagram is for. It's like a, well, you get more of a personal connection to these bands and whatnot. Uh, like, you know, before I think you just thought these bands were just untouchable, but now we have access to them. We can message them. We can, and they can potentially respond. So for us with our fans, it's, it's just a way to like, not be a, take it that serious. You know, it's, it's, have, it's having fun and showing them a little bit of the self-deprecating side of, of what we do. That's good. Yeah. You know, that is one of, there's not many great things about social media sometimes, but that is one of the great things is that you, you feel like you can connect to people that you uh, would not have been able to before. And especially if there's a band right. you're following or, or, you know, some celebrity out there or something, um, no, there's a chance, you know, they may, they may come back and interact with you, especially if you're not a jerk. <laughs> but, uh, right. uh exactly. well, uh, Eric, you know, getting back, uh, to, a little you've you've talked about your acting career and and uh what you did you know working on uh scores for films and things like that one of the questions i like to ask people on this podcast we interview entrepreneurs philanthropists and artists but it really kind of revolves all around the entrepreneurial mindset uh, i like to ask people mm-hmm. what their first first job was and and uh any it could be anything um and and what you learned from it or any kind of things that you that are still with you today because of that job. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that. I'll give you two ones. My first job, first, first job was like when I was, I want to say 15. I don't know if I faked something, but I wanted to get a job. So I worked for an ice cream store right down the street from where I am in Irvine, California. Well, now uh, you're talking. Yeah. So that, that was, that was fun. You know, it just, it just, that helped set a foundation, I guess. But really, I think where I learned a lot was working for construction. I did construction in the summers. Uh, my my grandparents have a couple businesses, and one of them was a construction company. So in the summer, I came and worked for them. Uh, my grandfather had pancreatic cancer, and I just want to be with him um, and have lunch with him every every day. So I I took a job working in construction, and you know, learning that trait of like actual hard labor and what it takes and then to get a paycheck and understand where your value of money actually is like, okay, here is $10 an hour. That's what it looks like. That's the hard work that you need to put in to get that. Just kind of set me in a mindset of, of how hard I need to work in order to get what I want in life. You know, I think a lot of the times nowadays, it's very easy to have like the me generation of like, well, I deserve this. So Right, um, right. Why aren't I? Why why aren't I getting this? You know. So for me, doing construction, doing hard labor, um, not asking for anything, like not not being treated a certain different way because it was my grandparents' company, just having to do the hard hard work, taught me a set of um, a foundational skill, I think, and and not 
taking things for granted and understanding what it takes to an appreciation and gratitude and, um, and those things like the, nothing comes for free and nothing is, is given to you. And if you do have an opportunity where something, something falls into your lap, like be grateful for it, as opposed to focusing on the negativities of what you don't have. I think it just set me up for all those type of things. Again, where the name of the brevet comes from, you know? Yeah, well, you definitely, um, that's a really great foundation. And I could see how you definitely learned a lot. And it was also interesting to me that you went from a, an ice cream place where you probably get fat <laughs> to a your, construction place. Day, yeah, construction place where you're working hard. You're probably out in the sun, you know, do whatever. So, but uh, That's probably uh, why I took it. I realized I was getting a little too pudgy. And I needed yeah. <laughs> So maybe maybe Grandpa thought thought so too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Hey, Eric, you know, you're not looking too good, buddy." Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Eric, um, you know, going back to the rock boat, I remember one of the rock boat moments um, for you guys as well. In addition to your, uh, you know, great performances as a full band, the rock boat. One of the things people like it's hard to explain to people off the rock boat all these kind of cool experiences. But we had a movie night theme. And you and John Kingsley came out there um, with, uh, you know, shirts off. Your American flag was draped over you. I think he maybe had a bandana on. Uh, and you got – I don't re- – can you tell us what um, m- what movie you were representing and what songs and uh, and what inspired you to come yeah. out there and play that? <laughs> we, we were having a lot of fun with that one because we knew about 20% of the audience was going to get that song. And then the rest were not going to understand what we were playing at all. But it's from a movie, uh, Team America is what it was. So South Park Actually, Theaters. What's funny is I was standing next to one of my friends going, I don't know what song this is, but it almost sounds like a Team America. But like, was it played it differently? It was. Or, no, or was it, it was just something it was total slow. Cheese ball. It was total cheese ball, country western. Like, you know, I put the twang on and got all nasally. Okay. And, and John was full blown on the pedal steel. So we just, we went for it as far as that's yeah that was great well at least you know freedom isn't free is the song yeah that when i heard i think when i heard that i was like it sounds like maybe team america but i don't really know what this song is but that's that's pretty funny um and but yeah you know you came out there everybody of course cheers when you're when you got the red white and blue on and uh so that was that was a lot of fun um also uh something else i've noticed uh i'm a big elvis fan i visited uh graceland what maybe two years ago and I've noticed you guys have yeah. a single, you have a single, uh, hound dog. Uh, and I also, I think I saw somewhere on some commentary on social media that you were thinking of playing some other Elvis songs. So tell us a little bit of, about, uh, uh, maybe your love for Elvis and, and, and why are, yeah. are, are you playing some of these songs? We actually have two Elvis covers right now. They're twisted covers. So they're like very dark versions of his songs. Right. But, um, one is devil in disguise and the other is hound dog. And, um, they're both on Spotify and all those, all those platforms. But, um, yeah, I, I grew up loving Elvis. I grew up as a kid, just being, uh, in awe of, of Elvis's voice, of how he plays, of his performance, his showmanship. I don't know, all those, all those aspects. So we were given an opportunity, you know, our, at the time, our licensing company actually for television and film wanted to write a, a twisted cover. And for me, it was like a no-brainer. I was like, all right, I'm going to do an Elvis song. And so I did Devil in Disguise. And with we sent it to our licensing company. Within a day, got a placement on a documentary film for the trailer of this documentary film. Really dark. Wow. Really dark documentary film. Yeah, called, um, oh, man. 
Is it a documentary about Elvis? No, it's a doc. It's it's much darker. It's a documentary <laughs> about um, about you know ch- child prostitution within Hollywood, basically. Oh wow. Yeah. So um, I think the se- something something about secrets. Something secrets. Um, great, great documentary. I forget the name. If I remember it, I'll send it to you, and you can probably give them a link. Yeah, we can. We can plug it. Site. Yeah. So, but uh, um, it was have, it was a few years ago. Have you had the opportunity to visit Graceland? I have, I have. It was actually before we did the Hound Dog song, but um, I we were on tour and uh, you know, we had to we had to leave sometime in the morning out of Memphis, like really early. So I got up super super early by myself. The guys weren't having it, and I went over to uh, to Graceland and and looked and checked it all out, and it was you know really really cool for me to be able to do that. Yeah, I was there um, coming up on almost two years ago now. And, you know, it's funny because I actually went I actually went to Memphis for the first time in conjunction with the uh, 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. And it's coming up on April 4th, I believe. And uh, but I had always the one thing I'd always thought about the first thing and the only thing I ever thought about Memphis was Elvis Graceland. Um, and so it's, it was interesting to spend a couple days there thinking about this assassination that took place there that actually like still hangs over as a dark cloud on that city. Uh, even though the assassin wasn't from there, you know, and all that stuff, it's almost how I guess some people in Dallas think of the JFK assassination, even though the assassin wasn't from there, it's, it's, it's kind of something that has hang over and it's, that actually had a, you know, really dark history, but, but, but anyway, then there was this bright light. Yeah. Then there was this bright light at the end of my trip of being able to go and see, uh, you know, Graceland, walk through it, go through the entire um, museum they have there basically across the street with all the memorabilia. And it was amazing. But one thing that really struck me, you know, like I like we all know the Elvis story. We all know the rags to riches story and everything. But I guess it's just like little things when you're walking through. And it was actually in the house. They had this one room downstairs and they had his father's uh, like IRS statement for the entire year in like somewhere in like the 1930s right? when Elvis was a kid. And it was like $350 for the entire year when they were living in um, Mississippi. And I thought, wow, within about 10 or 12 years after that, Elvis would be buying this home for his parents and himself for uh, about a hundred thousand dollars, which was a lot of money back then. And, um, and just to, to see that that could happen so quick. And then you go across the street and you just see like mind explosion of all the other things, not just the money, the films, the records, his personal service in the military. I mean, it was just, I just came away. I literally, and I, and I say this, I, I kind of geeking out a little bit, but I go, was Elvis Presley the greatest American ever? <laughs> like, I just, uh, I just right. think about like uh, that short time period in history when television was starting, um, when, you know, you could be that famous. And he was one of the first people that could be that famous based on his raw talent alone. And to be just from rags, total rags to riches story. Um, it just kind of encompasses to me, like the perfect American dream. Now with that said, it's, you know, it, it has a, it, has a sad part to it too, because he dies young. Um, and he's also the first sort of celebrity to get caught up with, uh, not that, he, not that he was like a, like a drug user or, or he, he didn't even drink, um, but that he got caught up in these these pills that, you know, um, that, you know, definitely kind of was was 
the impetus that took his life. But uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, sorry, I want to let you cut in there. No, uh, have you seen have you seen the documentary on him on HBO? It's a two part series documentary. Yes, I, I did. Very uh, informative. It's it, yeah. The first half is what you're talking about, rags, rags to riches, and the second half goes into a more depressing uh, aspect of his life. So I mean, it is this extremely interesting. Um, I mean, he was like he's the first massive pop star, you know? Right. So he he paved the way. Like there was no one that did got to that type of celebrity in general before him. So it was also very interesting. Yeah, what was also interesting to me on that trip was I I guess like I'd never really thought about exactly what age Elvis and Martin Luther King Jr. were when they died. And Martin Luther King Jr. was 39 years old when he died, and Elvis was like 41, I believe. And um, right. I was, it just really, you know, I was actually right about that age as a, as a, as I'm sitting there and I go, wow, these two people are just monumental giants, uh, in our time and in our history. And yet they, they only had a short time and look what they accomplished. So it was, it was very inspiring to, to, to be there that week, but also to visit Graceland and, uh, you know, his music and his, and his movies, um, you know, just seeing the the sheer amount of movie posters on the wall. And I was like, really, there was like this many Elvis movies. Like uh, they can't be that bad. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah. I came back and started watching some and, um, anyway, just, a a great inspiration. And, and now I'm, I'm geeking out a little too long on this podcast about Elvis Presley with you, but, uh, uh <laughs> not a problem, <laughs> but, uh, but I, that's, that's great. That great that you guys had, uh, have done some covers and maybe we'll see some more covers of Elvis. Well, speaking of some some new music, uh, Eric, I know you've got you guys have some new music on the way. Tell us a little bit more about when and what we can expect from the Brevet. Yeah, we um we've been you know I've been really busy writing. Kind of went away to my cave for a little bit and wrote a bunch of songs, and we have quite a few right now. I know on the Rockwell we played about nine of them. Uh, didn't say a lot of the time that they were new songs. We just kind of played them and let people hear them for the first time, get reactions. But um, yeah, we're going to be releasing our first single in uh, in March, so next month, March 27th, will be the first single. And um, from that point on, we'll just be starting to build it up and get back on the road and and release, you know, as we want to release. So will th- so will this won't be released as a full album? Just uh, you're just going to dribble out some singles and then and then what? We'll have an album at the end? And tell us how that process is going to go. Yeah, we will. We're going to be kind of doing a slow drip of um, of singles, so you can kind of. I feel like now nowadays we live in a in a time where it's the instant gratification world, and and unfortunately, as much as I love albums, like we will put an album out of all these songs, but people don't consume that way anymore. And, um, unfortunately, you know, as much as people want to want to disagree with that, the data shows that it's, you know, you want to, you want to have people consuming singles at a time. If I put out a record, a lot of the songs would go a little bit unlooked, you know, and and we want to give each song, I feel like the time it deserves. So in order to do that, I feel like we want to focus on each one, uh, individually. So for the time being, we're going to be doing that. We'll be releasing singles and really focusing on each one and having people kind of understand and watch us grow as these songs kind of develop and, and take shape as a new mature brevet. Well, you're, you're, you're taking a little play out of Elvis's 
playbook there because you know one of the things I noticed when uh, when I was at Graceland was he was when he went over to Germany during his service. I believe he was there for two years. Uh, right. His producers said, "Hey, look, uh, you're going to have weekends." I mean, it wasn't like he was going into a wartime; it was during the Cold War. But said, so "You'll have some weekends. We can come over there and get in the studios with you." You know, and he said, "No, no, no, no. I want to be I want to be like every infantry person and." do my time and all that. But, but what they did do is they recorded a lot of things before he went and then they dripped it out over two years. And so that way the fan, and even they did, even some of the movies he was in the process of making, they dripped it out. So the fans didn't get like, you know, this big, huge hole that where there was nothing. Um, and, and isn't that funny how how it is now? Yeah, exactly. It's it's back to that now because people, how people consume music now is is not in the form of albums, unfortunately, because I love records. I love listening to an entire cohesive piece of art. And I'll tell you what, the songs we've written are an entire cohesive piece of art, but we're going to, we're going to release them in that, in that regard. And then when it's all said and done, it's it's kind of a cool way for people to see the actual big picture of it. So I'm not, I have no problem with releasing singles, you know? Yeah. Well, it was great to, uh, it's funny as somebody who really wasn't familiar with your full catalog before I went on the rock boat, I wasn't sure what was new and what was old. It's, I mean, it just, you guys sounded great. You had a, you had a great, you know, great, uh, three great live performances. Um, I do know that at least I think it was on your last set and maybe it was on some of the other, maybe it was, it was definitely your last song on your last set was Paris which is a great song. Mm-hmm. Great. I mean, just everybody seemed to love it. You came down into the audience and, you know, we're singing it for us. And, uh, uh, and, and, and that one's not, when is that going to be released? That's a, that's a little ways out of here. Yeah. That's a new one as well. That one, uh, I'm cold being very close to the vest. Um, that one, that song I'm very, very, uh, excited about in a lot of different reasons for it, but, um, we will be releasing that this year for sure. Uh, okay, well, positive when, but but we will release it this year. Well, we will look fo- uh, forward to that, Eric. And one of the things that we like to close every podcast episode out with is a song. And I apologize, I didn't prep you about this before we we came on uh, the air here. Not a problem. But is there a song here you uh, would like us to play? It doesn't have to be a new song, but uh, and 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 can you can you uh, tee it up for us a little bit as tell us what it's about? You mean a, a, as a brevet song, of course. A right? brevet song, yes, a brevet song. Huh, let me think about this. Um, man, there's a lot of different songs. Well, I mean, I might as well tell you a, a cool, a better story. So I think it's kind of a cool opportunity to tell stories about why we write songs and, and the aspect of it. It's a slower song, so it's not really necessarily one of our like top songs. But if you played Silver and Gold, I can tell you the background behind that, which I don't get a chance to a lot, but... Silver and Gold, the song kind of came about, I was writing at the time. It was, it's off of our our most recent record, Legs. And um, it uh, it came about when I was kind of, at the time, contemplating whether or not to propose to my girlfriend, now wife at the time. You know, now wife. Um, but um, I was, you know, I, I think everyone goes through these moments in their lives where you're, you're always like sizing yourself up. Like, Oh, if I have this, then I'll be X, Y, and Z. Then I'll be happy. Or if I have this amount of my bank account, then I'll be happy or all these things. I think people can relate a lot to that. And for me, it was, I want the brevet to be at this point in our career before I propose. So I can be here, you know, in this, in this level, I was imagining myself that, and then we were playing a festival called Summerfest 
and you know, we got there and, and in Milwaukee, we hung out with a band in Milwaukee. Yeah. We got there, you know, and all these thoughts are going around in my head. And, uh, we're talking with this much larger band than us at the time. And they're complaining about the same things that, you know, us as a band are complaining about. So it kind of just hit me hard of realizing like there is no perfect time. And why do you need to wait for these things? Because you're, you know, once that happens, then you're going to want X, Y, and Z. So there's never going to be a perfect time. So I got home, wrote that song. And then a few months later proposed to my now wife, but so that's what silver and gold is about. Well, that's a great story. And we're going to uh, play it here at the end of the agents of innovation podcast so that we can, and we'll, we can think about your story and your writing and your, and, and uh, the love story now between you and your wife. So uh, appreciate it. And Eric, <laughs> we, we really appreciate you being on uh, the agents of innovation podcast. I'll leave you with any closing thoughts or anything you want to, uh, relate to the audience. Um, yeah, man, just check it. Just go follow us. Go to our website, www.thebrevet.com and go subscribe, follow us. So you stay up to, t- up to date on, uh, all the upcoming music we're about to release. Hopefully you get to hear that Paris song soon. And we'll, and of course, uh, you know, I encourage everybody to follow you guys on social media. You guys are everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, all that. And uh, you also can, uh, we'll, we actually put a blog post up on every episode. So I'll put that up at agentsofinnovation.org and we'll link to all these things as well. So people can follow you. But Eric Dam, I just want to thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. It was great. I went searching for the perfect time A reason to make your mind But I'd always There ain't no perfect day There ain't no magic hour So I stand here and wait For my wand to turn south Why am I Yeah.